Thanks for tuning in to House Things, a podcast and radio show from the David A. Howe Public Library recorded right here at the... No, I already screwed it up. I already screwed it up. And it's because we're recording at <laughs> night. I'm here with my friend Steve Rudd. Steve, welcome. Welcome to House Things. Thank you very much. I am very happy to be here. You know, Steve, back in the olden days when uh, Eric Nichols was my co-host, occasionally when we were trying to pack it in so we could get a special episodes in time for holidays or whatever, we would occasionally record at night. And we would call those episodes, All the Books, Nights. All right, so practice. Nights. Say it with me. Yeah, Ooh, I was, yeah, I'll say it and we both say nights. Here we go. All the Books. Nights. You were slow. You missed it, and that's fine. I'm sorry. It's because I was tempted to go shh because oh. you know it's library. Okay. You know. Yeah, All right. Shh. All right. I get that. <laughs> uh, so we are recording at night, and it is Star Trek Day. So pretty exciting holiday that we're celebrating here yeah. together, Steve. Wouldn't you say? Uh, absolutely, Kapla. Yeah, 100. <laughs> percent Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Uh, I feel that. <laughs> I feel that right in my heart. Steve here. Your hearts was uh, my hearts. Yeah, two two hearts. Uh, yeah. Steve was on an episode on, yeah. of the All the Book Show back, uh, boy, when was that? 2019. We did a Summer of Concerts episode where we recounted all of the yes. concerts that we had all gone to. And Steve and I had seen the Rolling Stones. And I feel like we should talk about that for a minute because, Steve, that was Charlie Watts, legendary drummer from the Rolling Stones. That was his final concert tour. Yeah. And we got to see it. Wow, that was actually his final tour. It wasn't. I mean, there were wow, there were okay. shows after we saw, but the last time yeah. he performed with the band was in that tour we saw just a few dates later. Man, I remember that being a a, a fairly good show. You it know, was. like I, I remember we, were, we both wanted that slow set, and we ne- kind of never really we got didn't get it. The slow you set. know, we did have to suffer <laughs> yeah. through that Keith Richards set of Keith Richards solo songs. That <laughs> <I> was. Uh, <laughs> That was rough. But no, I mean, I still remember like sitting there in the stadium, you know, of course we were, we were way up super high, but when the Rolling Stones came out, mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, it was the Rolling Stones. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. was the Rolling Stones. Like I've, you know, I've seen McCartney, I've seen Ringo Starr like separately on their own, like doing their own thing. But like, this was the classic like Rolling Stones lineup, you know, yeah, with, with Charlie Watts, Keith Richards and, and Mick Jagger. I mean, mm-hmm. altogether, those three were on every album. And others would change. Yeah, they were all there. Like, that was the core. And it was uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool, especially in hindsight, now that we lost Charlie Watts. Uh, pretty yeah, pretty cool Mc- that we got to see it, you know? Mick Jagger came on stage, you know, shaking his, you know, bony booty. And it was, <laughs> it was, I mean, yeah. you know, I thought, oh, man, this, this is, the, this would, it, it would feel just like this 20 years ago, you know, I and mean, then 20 years, years ago, ago right? that even 40, yeah. you know, yeah, that like he'd come on stage doing his little, you know, dance and it, it, it was fun. Yeah. I had fun. I, know, you I know? had a good time too. So I had a good time too. Yeah. And before that, uh, we saw that Michael Nesmith concert together, which was, uh, yeah, that was, that was a really good. And then not long after yeah. that, we had Michael Nesmith on the All the Book show. And I got to interview him. That's know, right. Yeah. Down. I didn't mention that we oh. just saw the concert because I thought it would be weird. But uh, Oh, man. You should have. You should have. That, should've. that uh, Phoenixville um, auditorium yeah. was just like, that was a very intimate it was. location. Like, I felt, even though we were like, I don't know, we were towards the back. It still felt like we were right there. Oh, it wasn't a bad know, scene in the house. Yeah. And I think, you know, great. the age of it, the look, it just all really fit with his style. So a couple of great shows. Mm-hmm. And you can hear those episodes uh, of the All the Books show right here at soundcloud.com slash all the books or wherever you get your podcast. Summer of Concerts is one and Interview with Mike Nesmith is the other. Mm. But we're not talking about aging rock stars. Today, we're going to be talking about Star Trek because it is Star Trek Day. But before we do that, 
Uh, let's open our books and see where the old bookmarks are. All right. So, Steve, uh, have you read anything interesting lately? I've read a couple things okay. uh, lately. Yeah, I have been. I've been in the Witcher books, and oh. uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I've read the first three technically okay. the Witcher books. Uh, the Last Wish, Sword of Destiny, and Season of Storms. I just finished this Season of Storms actually not too long ago. Okay. And I love The Witcher. And and the, the and and I'll start right off with saying like I'm not a I'm not a Witcher fan because well I mean I guess I am a Witcher fan because of the games. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I I've hardly I mean I've hardly played them. It's literally just the the just from kind of watching the game, watching other people play the game. I just yeah. really got into the lore. I like the the Witcher lore, you know, mm-hmm. it's like one of those things. But uh, yeah, I read uh, Season of Storms recently, and that's it's what's funny is that book is not very aptly named. It should be called the Sword of Destiny. Oh, so the Sword of Destiny book is because na- the Season of Storms is all about his swords. Okay, about him losing his swords and trying to find them, and like that they're important, and it's so it's just kind of funny and okay. ironic. If you're interested in watching the show, I would start with The Last Wish and uh, Sword of Destiny. They kind of have. Um, they're books that have like little vignettes, mm-hmm. uh, individual stories in them, all dealing with uh, Geralt, and uh, some of them mm-hmm. in the Last Witch, Wish, and Sword of Destiny are actually in the show. Yeah. So, um, really good content if you're looking for um, lore that spans, you know, bigger than just a video game. Mm-hmm. You know, I know everyone thinks it's a video game and now just a show, but it's like the video game's based on the books. Right, so, and I think the popularity, uh, established. Of, uh, the popularity of the video games really kind of brought the books back into the forefront, you know, where we're, we're getting, uh, oh, yeah. you know, they're, they're all being translated into English and all that. Last year, we did an episode of mm-hmm. the Old Book Show, to mention that uh, podcast again. Episode 229 yep. was The Witcher, and we have had those books in the collection for quite a while, and Eric did a deep dive into that and sort of sussed out the reading order, because it's a little tricky. In preparation for recording yeah. the episode, I read all of the Witcher graphic novels, and I ended up really liking them. I'm not a huge fantasy fan. I, don't, I just don't read a lot of standalone mm-hmm. fantasy. And so seeing the covers, you know, seeing the games or whatever, not something that I would have automatically gravitated towards. But I did end up really enjoying them when I picked them up. Have you read any of the graphic novels? I have not. I actually did not know there were graphic novels, so I will have to add those to my list because I love, I just love The Witcher. You yeah. know, I just, I just, and I have very limited playing of the game. I, yeah. I, I, I saw some, I saw like a friend of mine playing Witcher 2, and mm-hmm. I never really, like, I, I never got into it. And then when Witcher 3 came out, like, I actually own it. It's on my shelf. And I think in total, I've played maybe three, four hours of the game. Yeah. I really haven't played much um, because I remember sure. buying it and going, I don't have time to get into all this. It, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a very true. complex game. Yeah. It is. I feel like so. maybe Witcher 2 is the one that I've played. I don't know. I, okay. I played one on Xbox, and it was like kind of like the deal of the day thing. And I was like, oh, The Witcher. Mm-hmm. So I played some, and I did enjoy it. But it, yeah, it's same. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't like, all right, I've got 36 hours to put into this game. Let's do it. So I kind of got I think it's even more than that. Sure yeah, it and it's... And it has slightly different mechanics than other games. And I think that was a f- big struggle for me, oh. you know, at the time, kind of going from playing, like, I don't know, Chivalry to, like, Witcher 3, and then, like, yeah. switching in between, like, the different mechanics and pull yeah. out this sword as opposed, you know, pull out your silver sword as opposed to your regular sword. So it was, 
it it yeah it was different and you know I'll I'll play the old man card I I, I sat there and I was grumpy and I didn't feel like learning a, a new mechanic so, <laughs> <laughs> so I never ended up playing the game I was like I'll just read the book yeah well, that's that's opposite of my personality All usually right. I'm like I'll play the game or watch the movie instead but <laughs> I was like no I'll read the book All right <laughs> uh, I finished a few things uh, that I okay yeah that I've been on the fence I I, I... All right, here it is. I <laughs> I read a book called Commonwealth by Ann Patchett, and I had just I don't know mm-hmm. a couple of months ago read her more recent book, which is called The Dutch House, and it was that was about these two siblings. It, it's a whole thing. I loved mm-hmm. that book. I thought it was so good, and I listened to the audiobook on that. It was better than the audiobook we listened to for Star Trek Day, but we could save that for a little later. But this audiobook was read by Tom Hanks, which is super cool. So I picked up her previous oh, book, cool. Commonwealth, and this is, I mean, it's sort of about two families that become blended. There's two people leave their spouses and marry each other. And so then their their children sort of get intertwined mm-hmm. and their lives become intertwined. And I started off being really impressed by it because it's kind of a nonlinear narrative. So like you're starting, you're okay. reading along and everything's just going. And then it's like the next paragraph is 20 years in the future with no explanation you know oh whoa yeah Yeah. so like you're reading along and you're reading about this guy who kind of crashes a party and then kind of falls instantly in love with this woman who is married to the host of the party and then you're jumping way into the future and so many things have happened and it was the first time i was like what what happened like did i miss a page or something did you miss something yeah yeah but the more i went on (laughs) the more that just kind of happened and it would switch perspectives, you know, like what we'd be following the father. And then all of a sudden within just one or two sentences, suddenly we're following the daughter 10 years in the future, 15 years, whatever. And Hmm. like, it doesn't seem like that would work. And yet somehow she really made it work and it wasn't confusing. I think where it slows down a little bit is towards the end, it becomes much more traditional and much more linear as the kids are sort of dealing with their aging parents. And I think, once it switches to a more traditional kind of storytelling, it loses the magic of the earlier stuff. So yeah, it wasn't a book that I was like, oh, I can't wait for this to be over. But by the end of it, I was kind of like, mm. it started with a lot of promise, but that was just okay. Hmm. But I, I will sing the praises of the Dutch House forever because that was one of the best books I've read maybe ever. Do you, you're not a big oh, wow. com- are you a big comic book reader? You're not really, are you? Uh, not really, no. Are you familiar I, with the Eternals? I mean, I am not. Okay. No, I've had to uh, rely on some friend of friends of mine to uh, give me information on that. So the Eternals uh, has a movie coming out later this year, a big Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is based on a Jack Kirby story from the seventies, and it's it's a pretty interesting. Concept. I know Jack Kirby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is one of his more trippy. He's an artist, right? Was it... Yeah. Was he so an artist start... or yes. uh, just a writer? started well his career is primarily was that of an artist like way back in the i mean Mm -hmm. co-created captain america joe simon jack kirby created captain america co-created most of the original x-men you know all of that kind of stuff and he would kind of bounce back Mm -hmm. between marvel and dc and the eternals was kind of the tail end of him bouncing back to marvel and it's a very it's like our world but it's like what if these big alien gods inhabited it at first. And so then you have the Eternals and you have the Celestials and you have another group of more like evil type characters. And it is just trippy and weird. 
So I read the Kirby stuff a while ago, yeah. <laughs> and I just read the Neil Gaiman collection, which I thought was decent. This is all about the Eternals just living normal human lives and having to sort of like wake up and realize, oh, wait a minute, like I'm an Eternal. I'm a I'm one of these celestial beings. And they've like lost their memories. Neil Gaiman does that Neil too? Gaiman does it, yeah. Yeah, Neil Gaiman. Is that the American Gods or is that... Is no, that no. the actual Eternals? It's Eternals. Yeah, this is uh, this is just a Marvel oh, comic no that way. Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr. did. It's really interesting, but it kind oh, of has okay. like a game on ending. You know, like you're ready for the next chapter, and there is no next chapter. <laughs> I was kind of reading that to bone up on uh, the Eternals because the movie's coming out. I, I don't know. To I have mention, to do that. I failed to mention at the top of the show because I mangled what I was trying to say because it's a Knights episode. Knights. Um, <laughs> Steve and I do a Star Wars podcast together. This and Dorian Life, yes, uh, an Ewok podcast over on the Radio Meanwhile Network. Uh, so we've been doing that for I don't know a couple of months now. Yeah, time's, time's flying. Three, two, three, two, three months. So yeah. I feel compelled to tell you yeah. about a Star Wars book that I just finished a few days ago, and that is <laughs> on Star Will- Trek Day. Oh, William, man. I know I shouldn't talk about Star Wars on Star Trek Day, but I have to tell you, <laughs> heresy. William Shakespeare's <laughs> Star Wars: Verily, A New Hope by Ian Dosher. This is. Do you have it? Are you looking at your shelf right now to find it? I, That's it. I have it. That's it. <laughs> It's so good. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. You know what? I, again, I listened to the audiobook for about half of that. And then I was like, oh, this is annoying. So I switched to the others. You got them all. I got them all. <laughs> I think part of the problem with reading the New Hope one is that's like the least Shakespearean of the Star Wars stories. Yeah. It didn't really work. First movie is pew pew, pretty much, you know, yeah, it's just we shooting. Yeah, such and, a long time yeah. where they're just like chilling on Tatooine. And then, so it was, it didn't work as well as I think something like. <laughs> Really, the prequels I think would have been really good, or even Return of the Jedi. But this author, prequels, yeah, that's those. I think yeah. they'd be. I think they'd really lend itself to it. Politics and stuff like yeah. that. The political aspect. That's what I was fun. thinking. It, the scope of them, I think, is a little bit more appropriate for a Shakespeare. Yeah, movie. that's one we have in the collection. That's one I read with some friends for a book club, and we had a good time. But we all kind of agreed, maybe that was not the best. Uh, maybe that was not the best for the Shakespeare treatment. I'm currently reading a historical picture yeah. called The Four Winds, which is set in the, the Great Depression. Mm. So far, so good. So oh, okay. far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, let's roll into some book news. Are you ready? Yes, let's go. Look into the future to see what it proves. It's time for book news. First off, I want to mention the Women's Prize for Fiction. Uh, 2021 was just announced, and this went to Piranesi by Susanna Clark. Susanna Clark wrote a book called Jonathan Jonathan Norrell and Mr. Strange. Don't at me if I'm wrong about that. That's that's the basically what the book's called. My wife read this and loved it and has loved pretty much everything she's read by this author. Oh, here it is. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Yep. Is that what I said? Something like that. Okay. Yeah. So it's here's close. <laughs> thank you. Here's the synopsis for Piranesi. Piranesi lives in the house. Perhaps he always has. In his notebooks, day after day, he makes a clear and careful record of its wonders, the labyrinth of halls, the thousands upon thousands of statues, the tides which thunder up staircases, the clouds which move in slow procession through the upper halls. On Tuesday and Fridays, Piranesi sees his friend, the other. At other times, he brings tributes of food and water lilies to the dead, but mostly he's alone. Messages begin to appear, scratched out in chalk on the pavements. There's someone new in the house, but who are they and what do they want? Are they friend? Or do they bring destruction and madness, as the other claims? Lost texts must be found. Secrets must be uncovered. The world that Piranesi thought he knew is becoming strange and dangerous. The beauty of the house is immeasurable. Its kindness, infinite. 
sounds kind of intriguing. Yeah, especially like a thousand statues. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, big that house. was uh, not what I thought this book was about. So interesting, interesting huh. to see. The only one of the short lists that I read here was one called The Vanishing Half, which I thought was decent. We did that for a, a book club. But you can see the short list as well as the full long list at womenspriceforfiction.co.uk. But congratulations to Susanna Clark on that. Cool. Yeah. Congratulations. Let's pop over to the New York Times. Are you ready for some bestsellers, Steve? I am. All right. Give me your hot takes on these. Number 10 <laughs> with 14 weeks on the list. Nine Perfect Strangers by Leanne Moriarty. A romance writer becomes fascinated by the owner and director of a health resort. So we did a Leanne Moriarty book club a couple years back. Mm -hmm. We did a like a it was called the endless winter book club and so over the winter every month we read a book by the same author and we learned oh, that if you read leanne moriarty books back to back to back the similarities really stand out in a way that makes it kind of uh, yeah i mean so, that's not that i mean that's like clive cussler i'm a big big fan of his books that's that's kind of how they uh they oh, run that just, same way too. Sim they? Similar, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's very yeah. similar. You know, like eight books later, you're like, "Huh, that's weird." I same thing. Except instead of a desert, now it's in the water. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you realize when you say something like that, all I'm hearing is that you and I should do a Clive Cussler spotlight sometime in the future. Oh, 100 percent. I've actually never oh, read man. a Clive Cussler book, but I mean, I've worked in libraries for 20 years, and I've enjoyed every moment of seeing the covers of Clive Cussler novels. So, <laughs> seeing the cover they're just i just sold my majestic. entire clive collection really probably i was like the, in the height of covid and mm. i remember because we were like here's the book and he like threw the money at me you know it's like <laughs> it's like one of those things where like we just weren't sure but yeah i sold like i sold like 40 something books like i had wow. i had like almost his entire collection wow. except for like a few of the newest books. I didn't read them all. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, in talking with him, I kind of regretted it because he's like, oh, yeah. And he started telling me about like the new characters. And I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. Enjoy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so like, I don't know. One day I'll, I'll read them yeah. eventually. Yeah, yeah. So. Clive Cussler actually just passed away in 2020. He did. I he, did not know he that. He did, yes. He, oh, he was publishing right up until the end and passed away. Oh man, that... um, February twenty fourth, twenty twenty. Yeah. Wow, I did yeah. not know that. That yeah, is just, just very about sad. Almost ninety years old. Sahara is still one of my probably top ten all time favorite books. I just love that book. And then they made a movie about it, and I like. I'm, that's like my top ten favorite movies too. Oh, you like like the I just movie. love. Oh, okay. I love the movie. Oh, okay. Love it. I heard the, yeah, oh yeah. I heard bad things about that movie. So. It was well, it was a huge flop. They spent yeah. too much money and, okay. and and then it was something like it was one of those things where like I think the um the marketing was really bad oh. because it is everyone I everyone I show it to like we I used to show it to like the youth group boys. Mm -hmm. We'd have movie night and I'd show it and they were like, "Man, this movie's awesome. I've never <laughs> heard of it." And I'm like, "Yeah, no one's heard of it." You yeah. know, it was like one of those things and and so like I don't know, it must have been uh, I think it did an article and it was something about that. Like, the marketing team was really bad it came out at like a weird time and like in the midst of like two other largely competing movies and it just did not do mm -hmm. well so, mm -hmm. well so, that's yeah. a bummer unfortunate well i've learned a lot about yeah, clive Kessler today 
All right. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. Let's continue on the uh, the New York Times bestseller list. Let's go. <laughs> Number nine, 40 weeks on the list. The Midnight Library. Nora Seed finds a library beyond the edge of the universe that contains books with multiple possibilities of the lives one could have lived. Number Ooh. eight. I know. 17 weeks on the list. People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. Opposites, Poppy and Alex, meet to vacation together one more time in hopes of saving their relationship. Yeah, I think the stress of travel is the way you save a relationship, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100% absolutely. Yeah, I just think yeah. something about that really works. So <laughs> that's great. Number that, seven. That's 17 weeks. On yeah. The, you're saying that's 17 weeks? That's a, that's a long that's time. That's been a bestseller. That's, really, that's impressive. Yeah. 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 Some of these got some staying power. Number... Mm-hmm. Seven, 13 weeks on the list, Malibu Rising by mm-hmm. Taylor Jenkins Reid. An epic party has serious outcomes for four famous siblings. Mm-hmm. Number six, with 18 weeks on the list, The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. Never trust someone with two first names. That's what I've, that's what I've come to learn. Laura Dave. Laura Dave. This one is about, let's see, Hannah Hall discovers truths about her missing husband and bonds with his daughter from a previous relationship. Mm-hmm. Number five. Ten weeks on the list, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. A movie icon recounts stories of her loves and career to a struggling magazine writer. Number four, two weeks on the list, so relatively new, we have The Madness of Crowds by Louise Penny. All right, these books are super popular here at the David A. Howe Public Library. Uh, I've only read the first of the Inspector Gamache series. This is book 17. Gamache is tasked with providing security for a statistics professor whose views are repulsive to him. Okay. So the the statistics professor's views are repulsive to Gamache. What kind of statistics are we talking about? Yeah. Number three, five weeks on the list, Billy Summers by Stephen King. A killer for hire who only Uh. takes out bad guys seeks redemption as he does one final job. This is actually getting pretty good notice. I feel like, I don't know, it's been a while since a Stephen King book has got much critical acclaim. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I haven't liked them in a little while. Uh, but this his one... books or like his short story? Because I always hear that the short stories that he does are just way better than his books. I don't know if that's... I'm hearing that wrong. I, but like... No, I've, I've heard that many times. Um, mm-hmm. I've read a couple of latter-day Stephen Kings that I thought were pretty solid, and and you know a lot of the classic canon, I do really enjoy. I mean, we've we've uh, we've talked a, quite a bit about Stephen King here, but uh, The Shining and Bag of Bones are are tops for me. Oh, yeah. Number two, 12 weeks on the list. It ends with us by Colleen Hoover. A battered wife raised in a violent home attempts to halt the cycle of abuse. And mm. finally. Uh, number one, new this week. Ooh, exciting. Three women come under scrutiny when a young man is found gruesomely murdered in a London boathouse. This is by Paula Hawkins, who wrote uh, The Girl on the Train, which I thought was really good. I didn't like the movie so much, but mm. I thought the book was great. Is that the one where uh, there was an abduction? The Girl on the Train? Is that one? No, is this that is, that is. There's like a murder. The movie has Emily Blunt. Yeah, it's Emily Blunt. That's yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I might be thinking of a different movie. Yeah, and the movie was okay. It's just it's the book is set in London, and it's very much tied to like the the London train system and just like the whole way of life. And the movie, even though it cast Emily Blunt in the lead, made it all just like in Connecticut or something, and it really lost something in that transition. It was a weird oh. choice. I don't, I don't yeah. understand why they did it. 
Because trains are not really a way of life in Connecticut. Yeah, I don't know. It just didn't like really... London downtown, underground. Yeah, like... it just didn't really make a lot of sense. I don't know why they oh, would... That's bizarre. Yeah, it really was. Mm. So, anyway, I did love that book, though. I mean, it was a really good... There was There was a time when that style of, like you know, the messy hero solving like a complicated mystery. It was like boom, 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 yeah. one right after another. And that one uh, was a huge hit, but I feel like now it's kind of got lost in the jumble of books that came out at that time, but I think it was actually really solid. So I would like to read this. What do you like? What's, I, I mean, it sounds like Clive Cussler's your go-to, but what is your preferred like genre? Like if you're going to sit down and read a book, like what kind of book are you most likely to reach for? I, you know, probably probably the sci-fi fantasy okay uh, i i think I, I i'm a huge period fantasy fan so or, or at least like historical fiction i'd say not period historical fiction so okay. like if a writer is attempting to kind of you know write a, a a fantasy novel or series based in a specific time period and tries to keep the technology and the I guess the, the, the fictional mysticism and magic to that period, I, I enjoy those. So like okay. I, I, I did I did really like uh the Game of Thrones books. Okay. Um that was really cool. Um The Witcher, you know, kinda similar in, sure. in the way that goes. Um I, I love Clive Cussler because I like I like that the action hero mm -hmm. and you know, I wasn't so I really like the relationship he had that uh, Dirk Pitt had with Al Giardino. Like, Cussler has written several different novels with different yeah. heroes, but I was the Dirk Pitt guy. Okay. You know, when I sold those books, the guy was like, oh, yeah, I'm a Isaac, uh, you know, whatever that guy, mm. you know, is, mm -hmm. and he's on a newer. And so it was kind of interesting. We were talked about, you know, like, oh, you know, I, I like this guy better, and he liked that guy, and we explained why, and it was kind of cool. And that's when I was like, oh. That guy sounds cool, and I never read any of those books, but I just sold them. <laughs> so, but like, I I don't know, because like, you know, the Dirk Pitt novels is very different than yeah, uh, Game of Thrones or The Witcher even. So it's really, you know, I don't know. It kind of just has to. I, I, mm -hmm. I don't just know. hit that you just a, right, yeah. It just hit me right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I, I I read um I read some Gears of War novels, which is another video game. Oh, and I really uh -huh. liked reading those yeah. and like. I don't know, like, and, and I love, you know, like, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. I love, oh, the, oh, okay, Dune. You know, I had gotten back and oh. I heard that they were making a, uh, yeah. a Dune movie. I was like, oh, I need to read Dune again. Because I did read it when I was, like, in high school. Mm -hmm. And I read it again, and I was like, oh, I just really like Frank Herbert. I just mm. really like the way he writes. That book struck a tune with me, you know, and then, I don't know, there was, like, you know, Hatchet by Gary Paulson. Oh that yeah, really struck a tune too. I love so we're Hatchet. Talking, like it just, mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it just has to do with, you know, something I'm going through in life or just a, a natural interest. But like, I, I don't know. I, I, I could take a, a, you know, you know, number one bestseller. Like, I might actually like that. Mm -hmm. You know, to sit here and go like, yeah, I kind of like swords and magic and stuff like that. But you know. You, you you give me a thriller or something or a mm -hmm. mystery or you know like Perry Mason or something oh, like okay. that Old like school. yeah you know I, you know when you said somebody like a you know a disorganized person solving mysteries I, I immediately thought of Perry Mason I'm like mm. that's Perry Mason mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. I love him because he's just chaotic you know he's just like <laughs> the guy's a mess but somehow he manages to yeah. solve the crimes you know so like things like that like I don't know I just I'm all over the place yeah you know just interest just keep me interested like nice. like you said about that book the 
you were thrown off by the weird timelines, but then you kind of were like, oh, I kind of, I get it. Like, I'm start- yeah. Once you started to understand it, that's when it started to lose its, you know, its way. And, True. And, you know, you kind of wish that it kept it. And so, like, to yeah. me, I think that's cool. Yeah, so many times that's- you have to, like, you have to just kind of accept what you're reading. You know what I mean? Like, with Commonwealth, yes. that, that was my thing. I was just kind of like, okay, this is what we're doing. Let's do it. You know, and yeah. yeah, so the change in that was kind of where I lost it. But yeah, that's that's true of anything. You know, I feel like if you can have that buy-in, then you can you can find a lot of enjoyment in things, genre, yes. genres and things that you might not normally go for. Sell it to me. You know, if you're selling silver spoons to me, sell it to me. And if mm-hmm. it's if you do a good job, I'm going to read a book on silver spoons. You know, like are you so talking about the the Ricky Schroeder Jason Bateman sitcom from the '80s, Silver Spoons? No, no, I'm not. Different. Okay, sorry. That's on me. That's on me. Wait, 100%. I think of everything in terms of 80s TV shows, so that's, you know, that's just my thing. (laughs) All right. Well, that uh, that was the combined print and ebook fiction list there. Uh, So you can check any and all of those out at the David A. Howe Public Library or your local public library, Steve, wherever the heck you are out there in New Jersey. Uh, shall (laughs) Shall we turn it over for a little Star Trek talk? Let's do it. All right, well, Steve, I, I didn't say at the top of the show, again, another thing I didn't say because I was stumbling around in the night. I feel <laughs> like our relationship began twice with Star Trek because uh, <laughs> Steve and I have known each other for a long time. We went to college together. Uh, we were in each other's weddings. We go back. Yep. And the first time I remember you was when my whole dorm floor was playing Star Trek Voyager Elite Force on a network thing mm-hmm. wasn't that wasn't that like how we met i can't remember if that w- was what it was or it was i could see you from walking down the pathway Creepy. i could see to the second floor uh-huh well you know it, it was higher it's hard and i okay the tv was on so i saw that you guys were watching the next generation i think that's where it started really. <laughs> was it really was okay like, and then i came down i was like hey you guys watching star trek and you were like yeah and i was like cool and then just like <laughs> yeah I don't know. I think that's when it started. Well, I mean, that's uh, yeah. That's that sounds totally right. That dorm room, like common area, a lot of Star Trek happened there. We would all stay up until midnight because because UPN was showing Voyager reruns, and I'd never seen the show. They were showing it every night at midnight, so most of the time we would just watch it live because we had youth and could just do that and then go to a seven a.m. class. Um, But other times I would I would put a VCR out there and like actually set it to record and then we'd like watch it later or something so that's you you would do it on betamax too i that's, remember that because right? it, it could hold more i hours. do i do have some star trek on betamax you didn't need to out me on that but that's fine so so watching next gen in the uh in the dorms playing star trek voyager elite force on the network because you were on the fourth yeah. floor and i was on the second but we could all connect uh yeah that's that great, that's huh, where man? it began and then would you transfer you were gone for a while I took like a year off. Or yes, something. yeah, something like that, or two years off, and then I, or a year off, and I came couldn't back. have been two. Yeah, yeah it must have just been a year. And then it a year later, year. my wife Hillary and I, we weren't married yet, just dating. Uh, we were up on campus, and they were doing like the college orchestra was doing a salute to Star Trek, and so Hillary and I went, and I see you, and I hadn't seen you in like a year. I just see you like a, a seat or two behind me, and I'm like, Steve, what the what the heck? And I feel like that's when our true love began from there on. Wouldn't you I, say? I, I think so. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's when cabin love happened. That's right. right? <laughs> <laughs> the, 
man, we, uh, so Steve and I lived in a log cabin together, uh, and it was occasionally creepy. I w- I found it particularly creepy when I was there by myself all summer and nobody was in the cabin yeah. next or behind or the apartments in front. It was just me in one lone cabin, but, uh. I never trusted the loft. That that place scared me. That was I agree. I agree. Yeah. And there was something spooky about it, and it had little. Um, <laughs> it had little storage. You know, you could go up there, and there were doors you could open yeah, up the, and the store. walls and. Oh, yeah. Yes, Mm-mm. I just assumed there was a murderer oh, up there waiting to kill me. Yep. Uh, but I made it. I survived. <laughs> I survived. So today, as we're recording, it's September eighth, and it's Star Trek Day, and that's like this is the fifty fifth anniversary of Star Trek. So there's all sorts of like events and things going on we had an event in the library uh where we we had a little book club and then we just kind of did a general chat about star trek which was fun any chance to to like just sit around and chat about star trek i'm down for yeah uh and then we showed first contact in the library auditorium which was pretty sweet to have that on the big screen again so why don't we start there because the book that we read for a book club and it was kind of like open to everything but we read the book the entropy effect by vonda Mm -hmm. mcintyre and this is a time travel story, and I had read this. This is one of the first Trek books I ever read back in the day. It's still one of my favorites. Since hmm. I'd already read it, I listened to the abridged audiobook, and what a different experience that was. Is that what you did? I did. Yeah. So, <laughs> What an experience, it, yes. <laughs> so it's read by George Takei with Leonard Nimoy in there, and what I learned is that it's like heavily abridged. Because the mm-hmm. original book is really focused on Sulu. Like, there's a whole Sulu plot that's completely cut out yes. of the uh, of the audiobook. So Jessica, who works with me at the library, and she did Dark Mirror with me last year. We have a whole episode on that. She was like, I read this early, and then I had to go look up a synopsis, and it didn't make any sense because none of it lined up with what she heard on the audiobook because that's how abridged it is. Yep, and you caught me. You caught me at the beginning saying that yep. before we even started. That I yep. was just like, yeah. I started reading the synopsis to like remind myself of what the book was, and I was yeah. just like, oh, did I read the same book? It's almost <laughs> unrecognizable, but yeah. it's a cool. I mean, it's a cool story. I feel like, and we have it right in the collection. But it's a, it's a great time travel story uh, where Kirk is sort of out of commission, and then it's on Spock to write that. And yeah. One of the things that really, again, reading the full book that really got me was that it was kind of an atypical story. It was, I feel like it's a little bit more deeply sci-fi than Star Trek tends to be. Do you think? I think so. I, I don't know. I felt like this one was very much, uh, it was leaving it up to the imagination mm. to kind of explain some of the science as opposed to, That's you know, true. the traditional like, oh, this is this is how entropy works and mm-hmm. blah, blah, you know they kind of never they, you know they just kind of talk about it as far as it being like chaos but then well not chaos but uh like what would entropy be it would be like the the um lack of order or something mm. like that mm-hmm. like unpredict uh, uh unpredictability kind of thing and and i remember having to rewind a few times to kind of fully understand like oh wait okay now they're leaving this up to me to kind of explain that away in my own head mm. which at first felt uncomfortable right you know, you're kind of listening to an audiobook and you're you're just you want it to feed you yeah. all the information so that you can justify it and then it was parts where i was like oh wow like they didn't really explain that so mm-hmm. i guess i just kind of have to accept that that's what they're going with with because there's been so many things on time travel yeah right 
you know, there, there, I mean, there's been Marvel stuff on time travel, DC stuff, like Star Trek, you know, like, so it's like you start when you hear about time travel, you start comparing to different series, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like, oh, that doesn't make sense because in, you know, the Time Machine book, you know, this this happens and you're like, well, I, OK, that's the different it's a completely different universe. But like, yeah, like this. I don't think it was traditional Star Trek in that. I think it was a little bit, uh, leave it up to the uh, reader to kind of imagine mm-hmm. um, certain aspects of it. That's true. You know? Yeah, that is true. Uh, have you read a lot of the books, or was this one of the first? I used to read a lot of books back in the day. I read a lot of the Deep Space Nine ones. Really? Deep um, Space like Nine? A short, huh. Yeah. Well, I was interested in Deep Space Nine okay. um, when I was younger. And so... Well, like in high school. Sure. I mean, let's be honest, like younger. Yeah, well, that's younger not, for not us now. too long ago. You know. Yeah, true. But, like, you know, I read a couple of those, but it was, I read those in between, like, Star Wars books. Okay. Like, the bigger, the bigger of the Star Wars books, you mm-hmm. know, like Timothy Zahn's. Oh, and yeah. Things like that, you know, yep. so, um, or A.C. Crispin's Han Solo trilogy. Yeah. Which I, you know, I read, like, three times No, through. that's great. I really like that. A.C. Crispin has a couple of uh, Star Trek books as well. Yesterday's Sun and Time for Yesterday that... Uh, I know. She's good. She's she good is. Writer. And those are yeah. those are really... I really like those. I love that Han Solo trilogy. And I really love yeah. those two Star Trek books. Deal with uh, Spock's son from sort of, like, a parallel time. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So pretty exciting stuff. Um, yeah. I guess I didn't know you were a Deep Space Nine guy. Oh, huge. huge. Really? That's my favorite. It's my That's your favorite. favorite. Oh. That's my absolute favorite, hands oh. down. This all podcast day. is I all about education. I will die on that hill. Okay. Yep. Wow. Okay. Oh. I didn't, uh, no, I didn't know that. What is it about it? What do you like Deep Space Nine? I think because they're not on a ship, they're on a space station. Yeah. It becomes a little bit more real to me. Mm. I think that like it, it is more of like a town mm-hmm. as opposed to a ship traveling all over the place and they're just meeting people where people are coming to them and I, I don't know I think I think the relationships between the characters are more believable to me mm. I think they're more intricate like Garrick and the doctor and miles and you know like I don't know like I think the characters are just more compelling than they are in in any other series because like every other series everyone's a Starfleet officer. Mm. We're like where where Deep Space 9 it's like you do see Cisco but then Cisco's also like he's a human. Right. He's a person and there's that personal aspect of it and like Kira, she's not really Starfleet, she's mm-hmm. Bajoran and she has those conflicts and she has a conflict with the Cardassians and then you know, like Gul Dukat is probably one of the greatest Star Trek characters, I wow. think, next to Garrick that's ever been written. Like the two, I think Garrick and Gul Dukat are just some of the most complex villains that you, I, I don't know, I could go all day into just those two guys. I'm, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised about this. Yeah. I, I didn't know that you were a big uh a deep space I'm the resident guy. DS9 expert. I guess so. so. Just, you know, like uh, wow, I, I love it. I'll, I'll, this I'll die is, on that hill. All I'm day. I'm glad you weren't at the uh, the book club Star Trek hangout today at the library because I confessed my just la- my ignorance of Deep Space Nine. I mean, I've seen all the others, and Deep Space Nine. We recently were like, let's do it. Let's finally watch Deep Space Nine. I've seen, I don't know, maybe 20 episodes of Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. like ever. You know? It starts out a little slower than most. You know, it kind well, of starts out with a with the overarching metaphor, and then it kind of loses it a little bit. Mm. Um, but well, man, you're it's great. selling me a little when you're talking about like the characters and how they developed and thing. Because that's one issue I have 
in season one, I'm just like not that into the characters, you know? So maybe I need to stick it out. I think a close second as far as character development would be how they develop the characters in um, Voyager, right? You kind of get to that point where you're like, oh, man, they're like so lost at space. They're never going to get home. So Mm -hmm. I guess I should just get to know the characters, right? Yeah. So you do get that in Voyager, and I like that. And I just think they did a better job of it in Deep Space Nine. Mm. You know, um, well, let's – yeah. yeah, let's talk Voyager for a minute because I was just yeah, okay. I was just talking about this with my wife and she was a diehard Voyager fan like in her teen years and I like I said in college that was like I was familiar with the Kirk movies. I I loved the Kirk movies, but yeah. Voyager was the first show that I was ever like it was appointment TV for me, you know, mm-hmm. like I'd seen scattered episodes of Next Gen, I'd seen scattered episodes of the original series. Um but I'd never like sat down and, and have been like, okay, hurry, we got to get back because Star Trek's going to be on. And that's what Voyager was yeah. for me. So I feel like mm-hmm. I can't really disassociate it from like that fun time in life, you know, college with like all of my <laughs> friends gathering around being like, has it started yet? You know, so yeah. <laughs> automatically Voyager gets a boost for me. But my wife was saying that she feels like people tend to get stuck on the fact that the original series and next gen essentially have the same premise just of exploration whereas deep space yeah. nine is exploring a totally different kind of of relationship and structure of a show and it's the same yeah. with voyager like voyager is not so much a show about exploration it's about these people of two different crews are slammed together and yep. you're just kind of like building a family and like adventure and exploration happens but it's kind of more about how do they make it work when they literally only have each other and then you know yeah the vacuum of space so voyager for me it's so hard it's really hard for me to say i like voyager more than i like like the kirk era but voyager has a special place in my heart for sure i always wanted them to go a little deeper into the fact that they're lost i wanted to see more like oh, crap, this engine's dead, so we have to, like, put on this engine from this random... I wanted them, like, jerry-rigging the yeah. ship with the Delta Quadrant parts and things. And they do it a little bit. I wanted them to, like, really do it. Yeah. that I, I, I loved that about Voyager, about constantly, like, assimilating new technology into their ship just to keep going, like, yeah. crying out loud, you know? Well, I think Voyager... Now, I mean, now, with, with modern Trek, and I think even Deep Space Nine... It got into this a little bit more, having more of a sense of um, a serialized storytelling, you know, because yeah. once you get into like the Dominion era of Deep Space Nine, that's pretty serialized, right? I mean, oh, things yeah. connect week to week. I think if Voyager would have had, like, they had a catastrophe, and then the next mm-hmm. episode is just a total reset, like, the ship's fine, everybody's fine. I feel like if Voyager was a more serialized kind of story, <laughs> you would have gotten a lot more depth out of it. I feel like they started to get serialized, kind of like when they started to have connecting episodes, right? You, yeah, I just think it, it's the show like that blowing my mind here. It's about the this show right now. that yeah. lends itself the most to a serialized kind of storytelling. And you're right, you do have a lot of two-parters, and there are stretches where it's like, you know, when they're in Borg space, that's kind of a an ongoing presence. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I think you really would have done well to see that ship really occasionally like limping along until they could kind of get their bearings again but 
Yeah. I love the characters in Voyager, too. I mean, that's... You're talking Deep Space Nine, you know, like, really connecting with all of those characters. That's how I felt, for the most part, about the characters on Voyager. You know, I just think they're, Who like, did all... did you uh, associate with the most? Tom Paris. Oh, yeah, 100%. I was going to say Tom Paris. I always you. really <laughs> like Tom. And I think, yeah. again, because I... I mean, I've always read tons of the books i mean those are like my palate cleansers you know when i'm like Mm -hmm. i'm not in the mood to read anything or i don't want to start something heavy or like i've just finished a big book and i don't want to start something i mean i'll go right to a star trek book you know whenever i'm like geez i don't know what to read i'm like well maybe i'll read you know this star trek book and then it kind of gets (laughs) me back on track you know so i've read a ton and i think the characterizations are a little deeper in the novels so like when you have the novels kicking around in your head you can kind of expand what you see on the screen a little bit with everything right. else that's put into those books. But yeah. Voyager for me was the one that I sort of keep coming back to. Mm. I feel like this is this is weird. I feel like my wife's going to, I can't let her hear me say this, but we did an episode, I don't know, last year or so when Picard was coming out that was really focused on next gen. And I mm. found my fondness for next gen maybe has waned a little bit. Like I'm sort of least interested in doing a next gen rewatch. I don't know. Does Have you found that or what's your relationship with next gen? Next gen is the one that I saw first. Like as a child. um, Yeah. When, uh, when it was on syndication, we got the, uh, remember when you would like become like a, I can't remember what it was. Not publishers. I know what house, you mean. Like Colum- Columbia House, right? Columbia, Columbia House. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Well, you got four episodes per, per VHS, and you were part of the club, and like, you know, like that was a big deal for me. Like going yeah. through, and we had them all. You know, like, and so that was my first. I th- I think that was my first. I don't know. It may have actually been the original series, but I remember liking the original series better because I liked the dynamic between Kirk and Spock and McCoy. That's even golden. When I was very young, you know, that like for me as like a, a, a young man, I was just like, that's the kind of relationship I want to have when I get older, mm-hmm. you know, that like relationship between us where we like, you know, we give each other a hard time. Kirk, you know, Kirk still that, you know, unwavering, you know, Hero and McCoy and Spock are just arguing with each other because they're two completely different people. Mm-hmm. You know, like like the dynamic and relationship they have in um uh with the Voyage Home, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. like you know, like that's like the height of like it, if they didn't have the original series, those three seasons, that movie would never work. No, it would never work. You know, no, they so really. Like, I mean, they put the time in so to build those characters. Absolutely. Yeah, and so, like, for me, like, there's just something so special about the original series, and, like, you know, I think the greatest episode of Star Trek ever filmed is the, in uh, in the original series, Balance of Terror. Oh, with I the Romulans? I think, yes, I think mm. that is the greatest, it's a good that one. is the most, that is I a love good one. submarine mm, warfare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe okay. that's why I'm so drawn to Clive, you know, because, you know. Oh, sure. Like that. Yeah. But, like... You know, that, that episode hits every element of mm-hmm. what a compelling show should be. You got the terror, you got the suspense, you got the moral ambiguity, the 
though you can't see your enemies so you have to figure them out mm-hmm. it's like the art of war kind of thing like they're making their battle decisions based on the moral and ethical thoughts are of their their opponent and mm-hmm. it's like a it, it becomes like the 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 visual chess game of of what star trek really is mm-hmm. i thought i th- i just still i still think that's one of the greatest episodes of star trek ever made no it's but, it's, uh, it's a solid choice yeah yeah, way better. Way better, I think, than Next Gen. I think Next Gen, I think you're right. Ne- like, Next Gen was, was really good, and I think it was a very, very fun journey to be on. And, you know, the way that they kind of, I guess, what is it, came full circle, right, yeah. with with how it ended, mm-hmm. you know, made me go, oh, I don't even remember the first episode. So I had to go, I remember, like, when it ended on television, I was like, man, I really need to go watch the first episode. <laughs> and then I did, and I was like, oh, wow, they really, like... <laughs> You know, they really did come full circle back to that first episode, which was really interesting. So, like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, it, no, it's it, it's definitely it a tight purpose. I it's think it's a tight show, and I think it was like just right for the time. And I think oh, like yeah. without the next generation, I don't think people. I mean, some would, but I don't think Star Trek would be like the touchstone that it is. I think Next Gen was really yeah. the thing that was like. I mean, literally carried it into a next generation. You know, yeah. and I think that that's the reason why Star Trek continues today. So, in a lot of ways, it's 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 right up there with the original series as far as like importance and relevance to the franchise. And what an interesting franchise it is! Like, yeah. so many different you know series and off. movies and books and comics. I mean, it's crazy. Next Generation hands the baton to DS Nine. Sure, like Picard yeah. is in the very first episode, yeah. kind of. You know. Uh, talking with Cisco about like you know is this really what you want and you know, yeah. stuff like that so like I don't know like I thought that that was I always thought that that was cool that it was like a true like here you go you know well I like I like uh, that tradition because you have you have Doctor McCoy in the pilot for the next generation right as old yeah. like your ears aren't pointed but you sound like a Vulcan you know yeah <laughs> old like withered McCoy uh, and then so yeah you good. have Picard in Deep Space Nine you have Quark kicking off Voyager. Uh, so just kind of a cool little oh, thing that I they do, that. but yeah, because yeah. Voyager then, takes of course, off. Voyager takes off from Deep Space Nine. Nobody kicks off um, uh, Enterprise. <laughs> well, sort of though. Sort was, of. Was it Spock was Spock in that. Spock's no, not, but Zephyrin Cochran, like from First Zephyrin Contact, Cochran, that it. actor yep. is Zephyrin yeah, Cochran again in, in that. So you know, kind of, kind of. Okay. Yeah, but that's like next generation handing. That's like next generation movie ha- handing it off. Yeah. And and I know. And, and if we're talking about the the movies, let's do it. I know your. I know your. I know your. Is your next generation? I know your next generation favorite movie. What is it? I know it it's generations, isn't it? Uh, it's certainly the sentimental favorite. I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would like get into a heated debate with someone about whether technically it is the best of them, but it's a <laughs> it's a pretty crucial one. Like in my Trek fandom. I love seeing Kirk and Picard yeah. together. I think those scenes are so oh great. Oh my gosh, yeah. I think Shatner yeah. is, I mean, I really think he's underrated as an actor, and I think it's easy to do a Shatner impression and say, oh, he's just hammy. But he, I don't know, he plays the heck out of that character, and he knows just how to do it. And so I feel like yeah. those scenes, Kirk has never really played off of a character like Picard. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. not the dynamic of any Star Trek movie or series that you've ever had before. And yet Shatner's doing these scenes that it's just Shatner and Patrick Stewart. And he manages to like adapt Kirk to that scene perfectly. And I think that's just really yeah. impressive. Yeah. I, I think that's, 
that movie is for me. There's a huge sentimental aspect to that. Yeah. I remember like the what was it? The Jetsons, Flintstones when they did that <laughs> yeah, like, kind of yeah. mashup. Yeah, I remember watching that as a kid and being like, "Man, wouldn't it be great if they did a Kirk and and Picard mm-hmm. mashup?" And then like for years, I knew that like oh, I was like, "It's never gonna happen." Yeah, it's never gonna happen. You know. And then when they did it, it was just like. They did it, you know. Like it was so. Like for me, like that yeah. is such a special. I, I just, I love, I, I love that movie. I love the music. Mm-hmm. I love the way it looks. I love that they have, you know, the Enterprise B in there yeah. for a hot minute. Like, yeah. you know, that's the handoff to like next gen movies. You right, know, like, right. mm-hmm. and and so like that. I, I don't know. I just thought that was a great movie. I think the premise of it's really good. I thought all the actors did very well in it. You know, you got me thinking about the movies now, and I think you made the, you made the perfect point earlier when you were talking about the the Spock McCoy Kirk relationship. The series sets that up so well; it just really solidifies yeah. it. Whereas, like, you know how the others are going to react to each other, and I think the patience, the fact that they put the time in, makes it so you can get to a point where all six of the original series movies just work you know like those characters yeah. they're just so that each actor is just so like has that character deeply ingrained in them and they're able to just play off each other so well i feel like yeah. those six movies i i just think they're great you know i yeah. love i love watching them i would i would if somebody was like hey let's do a rewatch of the star trek movies i'd be there you know i know because i just think they're I so much a, fun he's a uh, uh my buddy gene i think Roddenberry? no okay no, i wish okay I think one of his favorite movies is the original motion picture. So, you know, for me, when I, I remember talking about it, or he ta- he was talking about it, I was like, whoa, really? Like, that's your favorite one? Like, for me, like, not really, but I know the mo- the motion picture was ahead of its time in, mm-hmm. in, in special effects, and, you know, like, you know, it, it had to compete with Star, Star Wars and yeah. things like that, but, like, you know, not not exactly for me the 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 best of of those six movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I still uh, you know I know you'll disagree. I, I know you like Star Trek three. I really don't. I, really <laughs> I don't do like Star Trek three. I do like but, three. But see, the thing is, like that, what happens at the end of Star Trek two, mm-hmm. and that relationship and the the tragedy that happens there really sets Star Trek three up for that that journey that like they devoted a whole movie to yeah to get Spock well back. like and that's just think of that like that's pretty big and that's know? the thing i think with star trek 3 like i don't consider star trek 3 a standalone movie i mean two to no. four is just one cons it's a consistent narrative you know like that's that's yeah. been released you know on on disc as as the like the motion picture trilogy because those three movies are just boom 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 so yeah, that's you, what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. So when you look at three as like the middle part of a whole, I just feel like the character work in three, some of the things mm-hmm. they go through where they're like, they don't have the Enterprise and like Kirk has a lot of yeah. character stuff there because he's dealing with the loss of Spock. He's dealing with the loss of his son, the loss of his ship, yeah. you know, his ship. Yeah. I just think the character work in that is really great. And so as like a longtime fan, I enjoy watching that one the most for those reasons, but I would never be like... Here, you don't know Star Trek? Watch the search for Spock. You know that wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would that'd be but crazy. Three sets up for four, right? You know, it like does. I, I, boom, boom, I boom. Mentioned yeah. that, like that. You know, yeah. The the original series sets up kind of their the 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 why they're acting that way. Yep. 
you know, or why they they stay together and act yeah. that way, right? But the third movie sets up for why they're acting that way right then and mm-hmm. there, you know, like the regret, like McCoy, like completely regretting, yeah, you know, like <laughs> reviving Spock, like you know, yeah. like, you know that kind of dynamic of just being so mad, like I shouldn't have left you dead, kind of like thing, you know. Yeah. And so, like, I, I don't know, like those movies were just so good. You know, Star Trek Five is, I, I don't know, I like that. I right? like it too. I, I, I think I, Star- I like Star Trek Five. You know, it gets a bad rap, but I thought it was fun. I sort of feel like the same with Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, Final Frontier, Number Five is is goofier, yeah. and it's just a very different tone than the others. And I think mm-hmm. if that was like the swan song for the characters, okay, then maybe you have reason for to complain. But I sort of feel like, yeah. as a whole, looking at all six movies together. And the original series, like looking at the whole journey of these characters, five yeah. is just a fun little diversion. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, if it's not your taste, fine. But like, I I appreciate that it's kind of an off the wall entry into the series, and I feel like that many decades in, like you know, whatever it is, eighty episodes and four movies yeah. before that, <laughs> take take a big swing. You know, like I don't mind that. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's interesting because it's about Spock again. I'm actually right. just realizing this now. Like, oh my gosh, it's another movie about Spock. <laughs> and true. you realize that, like, all the all the Kirk era ep, uh, movies are really revolve around Spock. True. You know, Khan. Yes, it has to do with kind of Kirk and Khan's, you know, rematch basically. But it has to do with the ethical, the moral and ethical dilemma that Spock is working through. Mm-hmm. Right, the needs of the many far outweigh the needs of the few right. kind of thing that he's right. working on, and that's part of his humanity, right? Coming to terms with that aspect of his humanity. So, mm-hmm. second, the second movie has to do with Spock. Third movie has to do with Spock. The fourth movie, you know, Spock becomes that like beta character, right? Like mm-hmm. now McCoy and Kirk are like the two A-list characters, and now mm-hmm. Spock's kind of like the I don't know what's going on, but I'm just a part of this movie. Right, but it's still like a large aspect of it is yeah. his development coming True. back into his character like again, right. you know. And then, then you get Star Trek Five, which is oh, my, oh, Spock, my brother's my brother, <laughs> Cybok, and you're just like, oh, yeah. so that's Spock again. It's a lot of you Spock. No, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, a lot of Spock. it's true. Yeah. But I just think it's such a great ensemble, you know. Like I just think they work yeah. so well together. I feel less warmly about the the next gen movies. I mean, I have sentimental attachment to generations and i think first contact is just a fun like feels like a very 90s you know it's like it's like star trek die hard oh totally i I even wanted to have that the music that uh quartet that plays uh the vitamin string quartet plays the uh the theme song and i was like oh yeah hun like when you walk down the aisle you should walk to this song she's like oh that's a nice song what's that from and i was like it doesn't matter (laughs) just just, just select it walk along (laughs) Yeah, and I was like, ah, oh, it's from Star Trek. She's like, oh, yeah. no, no, it kind of sounds melancholy. And I was like, dang it. Like, mm-hmm. that was so close. But, like, yeah, like that, I mean, I love First Contact. That That's such a great. Oh, it is. You it's, go again, where yeah, there's the technical aspect, but then the humanity, you know, Beta's yeah. battle with, you know, coming, you know, trying to be human, right. you know, and his humanity and stuff. So that's a really good one. Yeah. I really, I no, like I, that one. I agree. I agree. What do you think about Insurrection? Insurrection, I think plays more like just a standard episode you know like yep. the the most a long episode yeah the the most recent rewatch of that for me i was kind of like i've never i've never not liked it but i've always kind of been like oh yeah it's kind of the nothing one 
And I think it Mm -hmm. is just like, it's not particularly cinematic. Like it really, they could have trimmed that down and made it be an episode of the series. And you know what I mean? Like you, you wouldn't really, that wouldn't stand out as, as unusual. So I, I do like it. What about you? Well, it also doesn't, I, I think you're right. It's, Here's the thing I've I've talked to people about about that is you could trade Star Trek characters out with anything, mm. and it would still the movie True. in itself would probably still be entertaining. True, but, but I, no, I think yeah. it, I think your point's absolutely right. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be those characters, and that I think is probably my it biggest yeah. That's my biggest complaint with it because it doesn't move the needle for anyone. Like you don't walk away yeah. from that movie feeling like you've gained any new insight into the characters or the situation mm-hmm. or anything like that. Yeah. You know, outside of maybe a little bit with like the Riker Deanna romance sort of blossoming again, you could almost watch that in any order. You know, if like you were just reading the script yeah. of that movie and you didn't know whether it was in season three of the originals of, of the, of next gen, or it was yeah. like the first movie or the second movie would not matter at all because yep. there's not Doesn't there's no fit stakes anywhere. Yeah. No, that that's actually a really good point. I think that it they didn't tie it in any way, and I think I think that's a to their disadvantage that they did that. You mm-hmm. know that it's really just a standalone movie. It's just action. It's a lot of made up technology suddenly to kind of True. perpetuate to, or to to continue the storyline and like. It didn't strike a tune yeah. right, for me. I was just like, ah, oh, it was just entertaining. Yeah. You know, meh, you know, I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to be like, oh, Insurrection's on, and then just, like, watch it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'll probably watch a rerun of a football game instead mm-hmm. of that, you know, mm-hmm. like, so it, it, it's, it's definitely yeah. some fun moments and some quotable moments, but it's not particularly strong. And I yeah. feel like Nemesis, for all of the, like harsh criticism that gets to me feels the most like a movie in some ways. Like it's, it's much more cinematic than insurrection and it is interesting. Like it's interesting and enjoyable. It just needed more, I guess it needed more character pieces. I think, I I think there needed to be more between the Tom Hardy, Picard and Picard himself. Like the kind of were just like on you, but from Romulan. And it's just like, don't like, yeah. This last time when we watched it, just a couple months ago, I was like, why does he, why does that character have to be a Picard clone? How does that change right. the story yeah. in any way? What if that was just like a charismatic Romulan politician? Like, that doesn't change anything. So yeah. why is he a clone? I just feel like there's an element there that must have been in some version of the script and we didn't get to see it because it, it doesn't seem to serve a purpose to me. I think you're right. I think it doesn't have to be, but the fact that they did made me like, okay, well, let's let's get into that. Like, are you just saying that, like, oh, Picard is pure logic and he's just pure chaos and hate and rage? Like, that doesn't work to, for me as, like, a compelling story. It's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the same person. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde are the same person. That's why that's compelling. Yeah. Where in this, it's like, he's like, oh, I'm you know, I'm Mr. Hyde and you're Dr. Jekyll. And it's just like, okay, well, you're, you know, okay, you grow up on a warring planet. I get that. So <laughs> yeah. are you just saying that, like, you think you're smart like Picard is because you are him or, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I think they tried to do that 
similar aspect. It's tough, right? Because you have a family and they might all have shared experiences, but the, the children might grow up differently based on those shared experiences, right? So you can't say it's the shared experiences that make people similar. It might make them similar in some aspects. So what is Star Trek say, saying here? Are they saying that, well, they're similar because they have the same blood? Mm-hmm. Does that what well, there's like so to me yeah. I'm like I don't get well, I don't think they're really they're, you know I don't really think they're saying anything with that I think that's the problem like I think <laughs> they just not yeah I like, think they intended yeah. to and then they got there and just like didn't for whatever reason but anyway yeah because yeah that's weird anyway, I anyway. guess we uh <laughs> we've pretty much glossed over Enterprise did you have any feelings about Enterprise I. I don't really have any negative I had feelings started about Enterprise. Enterprise. I've I've seen well, the first I've season. Plenty of negative feelings. Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's. I just didn't think it was very good. I liked mm. Archer, Captain Archer. Yeah, I really liked him. I really liked Tucker. Yeah. I think the script was really weak. A lot. I I thought it just was meh. You know, like the really the show yeah. revolved around Archer. Like it was like the right. Archer show. They should have just called it Archer instead of Enterprise. Well, right? yeah. And I so mean, I think, it, I guess it's kind of like in the going back to the original series. You know, I mean, DeForest Kelly wasn't even in the credits for a long time. You know, and the original yeah. episodes, it's really just kind of like Kirk, Spock, and then maybe Uhura, maybe Sulu. Maybe Scotty, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it wasn't a whole crew, and it's like that's kind of what they seem like they wanted to do with Enterprise, because they definitely spent mm-hmm. time on I would say Archer, Trip, and to Paul, but the rest of them were just kind of like yeah. The yep. rest of them were just kind of like, well, he's the British one, you know, he's the helm officer, she's the translator, and that's kind of it. So, you know, that's right? They really did kind of focus on that, those, yeah. So it's just kind of a weird thing. All right, so Enterprise, you are mostly thumbs down on. Yeah, okay. I I don't know. It, just based on the uh, theme song, it was obvious <laughs> they just could not decide what they wanted true, to do with the show. True, and the fact um, that it started. I like the actor. Just, the fact that it started just called Enterprise, not Star Trek Enterprise, and then finally they were like, all right, add the Star Trek in there, shows you that they were kind of trying to yeah. distance themselves, and it didn't really work. Yeah, so Trip, yeah, it was Trip Tucker. That's who I was thinking of. Yep, yep, yep same guy. I liked uh, Mayweather, too. I really liked him. I liked oh, okay. that actor. Right. I think he all did right. a really good job. And I played Dr. Flox, obviously. Flox, he's, I forgot about Flox, yeah. He's he's good. I just, I liked that actor. He's a very good he sold me every time he started yeah. doing stuff. Even, even though he's like a really weird dude, I was just like, oh, okay, I'm listening. What do you say? I guess I always feel cool, like you know? if I really like sat down and committed to watching through Enterprise start to finish, I feel like I would get into it because I love Scott Bakula as an actor. And just yeah. as we go through and oh, describe yeah. it, I mean, there are a lot of pieces there that I think are pretty solid. So maybe once I... I just don't think they mesh. They just don't mesh that like the other series do. That could be true. You know? Yeah. I mean... How can you not like, you know, I, I, how can you not like Scott Bakula? I mean, Quantum sure. Leap, come on. Like, yeah. I remember in college realizing that Quantum Leap, they uh, showed it on, I can't remember what channel, um, but it was on at uh, 2 in the morning, 2.30, uh-huh. uh-huh. 3 in the morning. I remember just being up one night and I was like, oh, it's on. And then like, the next night I was up the same time. Yeah. And I was like, they're legit showing I w- Quantum hey, Leap I at like 2 in the off. morning. I wouldn't turn off Quantum Leap. <laughs> 
All right, let's uh, let's hot take the rest of the series that we haven't talked about. Uh, the animated series, the okay. original animated series. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I like it. I don't know. I think it was completely necessary. I wish that show went for like four seasons. I like I the animated series too. I feel like the fact that yeah. they're dealing with 30-minute episode cuts out a lot of... Sometimes the original series episodes would get a little chunky and you'd want it to be a little shorter. So I feel like the animated yeah. series scripts were really strong. And like, yes, the the quality of the animation wasn't always great, but I think the show holds up pretty well and yeah. uh, is yeah. is pretty solid as a whole. Uh, I was did, very entertained. Yeah. Very entertained. Agreed. The whole series. I'm still in on Discovery. I go in and out. I like it for a while, and then I don't. I started not liking it at all, and then kind of got back into it. So that one gets mm. a pass for me. Like, I'll keep watching it. What about you? Yeah, I. so I started to lose that show. I really started to like it, and then sometimes when shows just... They start to go too far from where I think they're going to go. Mm. I start to lose like the interest in the show. Yeah. And I think for me, it did get to a point there where I was like, I cannot wait for the next episode. I yeah. Wait to watch the next episode. And then I got to the point where I was like, I really don't care that there's Same. another episode. And I would like watch Same. it and I'd be like, ugh, just not, it's, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. uneven. I feel like it's maybe it's the most uneven. Yeah. The maybe the most uneven of the shows. One that I feel uh pretty universally negative about would be Picard. I don't like the Picard show at yeah, all. No. Mm -mm. That's a thumbs down for you as well. 100%. You know, when you uh, and and it's not fair. I didn't finish it. But mm. like we <laughs> To, to, to spoil it for everyone, they killed half of the compelling part of the show in the very first episode. True. For me, I was just like, I agree. What? No, I what totally agree. Like? I mean, I, kill I think the ending is worse than the beginning. So, oh, possibly really? oh, with. Geez. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly with Q coming back in season or come, you know, coming in season coming two. Coming back, yeah. Maybe or that would do in, it. Yeah. But aside I, from the episode where Wrecker and Deanna come back and they have like an episode with the three of them, I got nothing good to say about Picard. Which even makes the, me sad. Yeah, right. Even the twist in like the fourth episode or fifth episode, right, with the doc with that doctor. Mm. Even with that, when I was like, oh, "What?" and then I watched the next episode, and I was just like, "Yeah." Yeah. <laughs> I think the next episode was the Jerry Ryan one, and I was like, I watched it because Jerry Ryan was in it. But I was just like, "Man, what a complete waste of!" I was it's like, a waste. What it's a waste what of that actually character. Actually, happened. Yeah. Yeah. Like. She's, you know, I was like, here she is again. It's just like, what is she? Is she like Starfleet? Is she not Starfleet? Is yeah. she like part of this? Is she just not part of this? Is I, she just honestly, like, I, I mean, because my, because like Voyager was sort of my window in, I was almost more excited about the thought of yeah. seeing Seven of Nine again and like the Voyager world than Picard. And the yeah. fact that they just brought her in and completely wasted the character, I don't understand. And I hope something in season two makes that worthwhile. But it's when that shows oh. back on, it's going to be a straight up chore for me to press play on season two. As much as I dislike Picard, I that much like Lower Decks. I think Lower Decks is hilarious, filled with deep cut old school Trek references. I just that's one that I'm like, oh, there's a new episode. Like every week yeah. when it's on. I love it. You got to get into it. You haven't, right? You haven't seen I it? No, I have not. Yeah. And I wish I did so that board. I could bounce, you know, thoughts off on get it. Get on but, board. You know, 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, then we've got to. we got a couple of new ones in the works. Strange New Worlds, which is following mm-hmm. Pike and that crew, uh, and is and is meant to be more anthology style like the original series. I'm very excited yeah. about that because I really liked his Pike. I really like the Spock from Discovery. I'm ready for that yep. show. I I think I think that'll be good. I, I really hope I really hope that that kind of goes to the original. Like the, the 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 flow and the theme of the original yeah, series. I hope so too. You know, you know, and, Next Generation kind of has that like ethics and, mm-hmm. and political correctness, and yeah. we need to justice, and you know, like that, and it works. You like you like oh, you definitely. said it works for yeah. that time. You know, but I think it it loses its, I think it loses its luster a little bit as the ages go on, and mm-hmm. you know, decades. You know, people people have changed. You know. In, in, what's important has changed over the decades, but I think like the relationships and stuff and, and the morals and the ethics that are built in the original series really are the building blocks for the rest of the show in, in, in whatever you're, whatever series you're watching, right? Yeah. They always dealing with some sort of moral and ethical dilemma and trying to, you know, like, yeah, there might be a bad guy, but the, there's also that battle, that inner battle of, of you know, what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes they're put in situations where they need to make two, potentially two wrong, yeah. between two wrong choices or two, you know. So I think I think the original series just does a good job of just laying the, the groundwork for the rest of the series. And if they go back to that with, like, the the five-year mission of, like, really discovering, you know who they are i think i think that's going to be a good show yeah, i agree i'm looking forward to that i'm also looking forward to star trek prodigy which is uh, a nickelodeon paramount plus thing that is actually yeah, like an animated right. series meant for kids which my son yeah. really likes the original like the 70s animated series and if we're watching like you know the original series or something he would sit down and watch that he doesn't care about like next gen or deep space nine or something like that. And so I'm excited about having a new right. show that I can watch with him. And I'm super excited yeah. that Kate Mulgrew is back as Janeway. So, Oh yeah. You know, she's great. I, she is. <laughs> I love Janeway. I love, that's like a whole nother podcast of discussing True. like the, or putting the captains in order. Oh, geez. I think it's such a struggle. It is. You know, it's so cause different. like, you know, we might say like, oh yeah, I'm not really, a, you know, like next generation does, you know, like this and that might be third on my list, but like, where does Picard land on that mm-hmm. list? You know, mm-hmm. like, do I do I hold Cisco to his highest standard, you know, as I do Kirk in in Picard? You know, like right. I love DS9, but is he a better captain than Picard? No, mm. like, so you know, so that's how you know that that kind of changes based on you know yeah. even that. Which is a great conversation yeah, to have. Super tricky. All right, let's end with uh, our suggestions for if you've never watched. I mean, anybody who's never watched Star Trek, I guarantee you they did not make it to the end of this episode. But <laughs> but let, let's pretend they did, or pretend one of the listeners out there wants to uh, get somebody into Star Trek who's never watched it. Where do you suggest they go, Steve? Is there a series or movie that you think they should uh, watch first? That's a good question. I think, I don't know. I tried that with my wife. I tried to get her to watch Star Trek Two first, and she was like, "I don't know what's going on, and I don't care who this guy is with long mm-hmm. hair. Why is mm-hmm. his chest like that?" And like, <laughs> so I, I don't know. Star Trek is very, it, it's very difficult. Even like trying to get somebody to watch like Next Generation, 
the first season is very oh, it's different bad. than the rest yeah, of the show good. completely. Yeah. It's very tough. So, like, if I told somebody, yeah, watch the first season of Next Generation, they'd probably find where I live and punch me in the face because it's that bad. You know? Yeah. Um, or difficult. Not bad, but difficult. I don't know. I, I feel like if you want to get into Star Trek, I don't know, probably Voyager, honestly. I think I think that has the most that has like the most like here's where the show starts mm -hmm. and you kind of get that linear linear storyline with the the series in itself and then it yeah. ends and you're like okay yeah like that's a that's a good start all this stuff that happens in the middle you know some of the episodes can be switched around but it's all eventually heading towards the end which yeah. is you know the the you know the last episode and closing the show out where DS9 is you know, it's a little more heavy. Yeah, I, I know. Think. I was I was thinking the same thing. I feel like Voyager, yeah. in some ways, maybe has aged the best. Um, and I think the premise is very clear. Like these people are trapped, so yeah. you're just kind of like automatically thrown into that. And I think that gives you an understanding of the circumstance in a way that I feel like with Next Gen or something, you're like, okay, but why yeah. are they? What are they doing? Like, why are they out here? Whereas with Voyager, it's like, okay. Yeah. So that's actually series-wise, I was thinking that too. I think you could make an argument for the original series just because it's the one that started it all, and it is still True. very compelling. But it's also kind of slow, you know? Like, the episodes are long, yeah. and sometimes you're like, all right, let's move this along. I think it's got to be Voyager. But I agree with you. I think series-wise, Voyager is maybe the place to go. If yeah. you have somebody who really is like not a sci-fi person, not a definitely not a Star Trek person, and you're trying to figure out like where do you dip your toe, I might even say start with the JJ like Star Trek 2000 whatever 2008 2009 the Chris Pine yeah. one. Start with the movies. Yeah, like I feel like the that first Chris Pine movie is very self-contained like you can watch that so and not be like all right what happens next and i think that it also introduces you to the world so maybe you could kind of take mm -hmm. that and be like all right now i kind of get the concept let's go watch you know voyager or next gen or whatever Woo! what a marathon this has been steve i feel like we either have to stop talking or just put down sleeping bags and settle in for the night <laughs> yeah well, thanks again to my guest, Steve Rudd. Remember, you can find him every week on the Sindorian Life for the Radio Meanwhile Network, uh, where we talk Ewoks and other such things. Next week, Malik is going to be my guest, and he and I are talking Bruce Lee. So I hope you can join us for that. Steve, so long, my friend. So long. We'll see you next time, everybody.